Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we've got a lot going on um, this coming week on this episode, and I'm really excited to bring this to you. Um, some really timely information and um, great discussion about some, some important topics tonight. Looking forward to that. Of course, we can't get into any of that until we bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley. Sam, how are things out in Colorado? Crazy, Jamie, for reasons you'll find out very soon, but I am so tired of snow. It seems like every other day it starts to melt off and then there's more. And it's not a lot, but it's just, it's, it's irritating. Dan DePodwin, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> well, Sam, I think, unfortunately, it's the snowiest month of the season, the snowiest month of the year, March. So, you know, you've got your snow the last couple of days. I think we're turning milder over the weekend. Overall, it should be a pretty nice weekend, so that's good. But as we head into the middle of the month, you know, you can still get pretty good snowstorms. In fact, some of the biggest snowstorms out in the front range there in Denver are in March. So Becky, I'm sure, remembers many of those from her childhood. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she does. I uh, no, I was going to say something profound, and I already forgot what it was. Oh, I did hear yesterday that Denver had like the coldest day on record or something. I'm not sure that's been verified, but that's how cold it is. It was four when I got up this morning. So, Miss Becky, how are you? Well, we're bracing for more snow in the Northeast. We had a yeah. A tricky, I don't know, four inches or so. Jamie, did it snow where you were, or was it just rain? It was just rain. Um, it was cold, oh, and um, but not cold enough. Just so, just sloppy and cold. Fun. Yeah, yeah it was a big, uh, pretty, pretty good storm. Um, that's going to impact pretty much the entire like eastern half of the country. Like Little Rock could see an inch of snow. Dan was telling me earlier, and then potentially up to a foot in parts of like interior um, northeast interior new england so winter is not done yet as much as we would like it to be well we got one illinois and uh one missouri here what are that what does that look like next week uh, dan you're probably more in touch with the yeah. overall <laughs> forecast yeah well I, as, as becky was saying it's going to be a pretty this is a pretty intense late season uh not unusual we, we get storms like this in march on a fairly regular basis but still will be pretty impactful and there's going to be that swath of basically one to three inches of snow from parts of Arkansas through Tennessee, might get more than three inches up through parts of eastern Kentucky. I think most of Indiana and Illinois miss out. The southern part of the state can get some, or of both states along the Ohio River can get some snow Friday into early Saturday. And there's some snow as we record this here on Thursday evening. There's some ongoing snow across the Chicagoland area right now. But definitely a a uh, blast of winter here in the Northeast, especially where it won't snow a lot from like DC to Boston probably will end in some snow, but the real change will be the, the falling temperatures from uh, near 50 or in the mid fifties on Friday. And then temperatures falling all day Saturday and into the teens by Saturday night. So not a great day to be traveling Saturday across the uh, Northeastern United States, but I think we quiet down next week. It looks like a pretty quiet pattern overall. Only hope so. Well, you know, tonight, this is, <laughs> There's, I have so many things to say I can't even think because this particular podcast is going to be really important to me because I'm involved in it just like they are. And you're going to find out about that. But, you know, somebody, uh, Jamie just made a point, which is a really good one. Um, and I don't know that you're 
your weather forecast goes as far as Ukraine. But I, I listen to public radio, and I'm hearing a lot about how these people don't have heat, uh, along with a bunch of other things. Man, that that's scary. Uh, so Sam, Dan, my you colleague, wanna, what's that? So Sam, speaking of the weather in Ukraine, my colleagues are right now traveling across the border, and they just send me a screenshot of their thermometer. It's about 12 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 11 degrees Celsius tonight, a pretty nasty night for a lot of people to be standing outside in the cold and waiting to cross into Poland. Oh, my God. So, Dan, do you have any... Uh Thoughts on that? Yeah, the cold has certainly been, um, it's been persistent for the last over a week, and it does look like it continues here into the weekend. It's a late winter cold snap uh, through the early part of the weekend. Looks like the coldest days are, uh, which we just had Thursday, and then again Friday, and then Saturday with temperatures 8 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit or 5 to 15 degrees Celsius below normal. Um, so the temperatures are really, you know, they're, they're only going to be in the teens to, to mid thirties Fahrenheit. So that is, you know, you're below freezing through much of the day and that continues, um, into the early part of the weekend. It is, it has been mainly dry. There's been some snow showers, maybe an inch or two of snow in some spots. There has not been any major, uh, snow events. So that's a good thing, but obviously the cold weather, the prolonged period of time where many of these people, unfortunately don't have any type of shelter is obviously a, a, a significant challenge here. I think it starts to turn a bit milder, but it's, I don't think it gets that, it doesn't get that warm uh, in the next several days. Yeah, I hear they're even having to cook outdoors, you know, because they don't have any electricity. They don't have anything. But then we could go on and do a whole podcast about that. But what I want to talk about, and you, you heard one of our guests, Kasia Hampton, Hampton, who's my new best friend, um, we've been talking quite a bit. How this, well, I got to back up a little bit and it kind of explain some basics. And then, because we have Tim Conley here with us too, who we've podcasted with before. But Tim and I, and, a, and a Dr. Brian Frolke, who we've had on here too, uh, based out of St. Louis, we started a state centered disaster organization, what, 15 years ago, Tim? Something like that. Pretty close. Yeah. And and what we've done is we've, you know, it's a nonprofit. So we've just tried to find good resource information for these different states to use and share resources and look at EMAC policies if they want to send, you know, resources out to each other and so forth. Well, you know, when we met Kasha, uh, everything changed. Because we found out, and she'll tell you more about this, that she's going to be going to Poland as part of the Poland medical team because that's where she's from. And all of a sudden, we said, we got to do something to help her. Uh, we're resource rich. Let's use that to see what we can do to help them get what they need. So, Kasia, do you, why don't you just start and tell us, tell them a little bit more about the whole process here? So, uh, as of tomorrow, I am deploying to Eastern Europe, uh, definitely Poland and also Ukraine. Uh, I would like to make this big note that current situation, you know, there's obviously a war going on and there's a lot of people crossing from um, Ukraine into Poland over the Polish eastern border. As of today, it's over one and a half million people. And keep in mind, Poland has about 
40 million people living there. So that's quite a substantial increase in the Polish population. And what I would like to notice is that a lot of those efforts, they must be directed at quite a different number of targets that we are aiming to support, right? Because we have this war-torn area of Ukraine, then we have this relatively calm, I say relatively calmer, um, western part of uh, Ukraine. Then we have this major humanitarian crisis playing itself out at the border between Ukraine and uh, Poland, where people spend multiple days out in this terrible cold weather waiting to cross into uh, into Poland. And then we have this, the country of Poland, which definitely is not rich in resources. It's not, you know, terribly poor, but but it definitely not uh, does not have the resource level of what we have here in the U.S. and um, and obviously there's everything else around it. So this is a pretty complex situation that requires extensive coordination of the effort. But most importantly, it will require doing so over a prolonged period of time. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's more than that. It's a relay race of marathons. And that's what, thanks to people like Sam and Tim, we are accomplishing right now. Well, I want to mention, too, that you are a physician and you are in the fellowship program at WashU with Dr. Frocky, who works there as well as an ER doc. Um, so you're going to be a very valuable person when you get out there. But you're going to be going through Germany actually tomorrow, right? And then to yes. Poland and then to Ukraine. Yes. Absolutely, well, yes. Well, we're going to talk more about that. But what was interesting was, you know, for about two weeks we've been working on this. But uh, Tim Conley, firefighter, paramedic, and the president of IDMC currently, um, he, he's like – the best man on the job when it comes to creating a structure for a large project like this. And it has done nothing but grow um, in the last week. It's it's nuts. So, Tim, do you want to kind of give them an overview of, of how you got this set up? Yeah, thanks, Tim. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast again. I appreciate it. So, as Sam said, at IDMC, um, we really didn't have a mission plan for this. Um, so we're trying to almost build a plane while it's in the air, for lack of a better way to explain <laughs> it. But the, the thing we have going for us is the partners and the people that we have. We've had, we have some really, really strong members on the team, um, and we're bringing new members on every day from our partner agencies, state disaster mm-hmm. teams, our vendors, um, and people that we worked with in IDMC and other mm-hmm. roles um, throughout the, the last few years. The response from our partner organizations we have um, has been outstanding. We got uh, members from Louisiana coming to help, members from Missouri coming to help. We got uh, more people from Illinois coming to help today, I found out. And these are all veteran disaster response people who are helping us build the framework. So what we're now we're focusing, because the, the team's still en route, um, although we are starting to, to manage some supplies and, and get them ready to go for them at their request. Um, is building the infrastructure. And because this is, as Cassie said, it's going to be, you know, I said that yesterday on a message that it was going to be a marathon, and Cassie corrected me. It's going to be a marathon followed by a marathon followed by a marathon. 
So yeah. we're, the only way to make this work with this complex logistics is really to follow the, the NIMS command structure, um, you know, finance, logistics, operations, planning, you know, and work as a team. And so far, our guys are doing an amazing job, and I couldn't be prouder of them. Oh, and, and Jamie, you'd recognize a lot of these names, like Chris. Uh, he was the one from uh, State of EMS in Louisiana, State State EMS. And we've podcasted with many of them, and they're all veterans. So, But the, the interesting thing is we're all everywhere and all in different states. So all of this is being done virtually, which makes it quite a bit more interesting. Um, yeah, and it's going to get more interesting and if I can just jump for a second, and Cassie, I know this is one of your button issues, so feel free to jump on with me, is people need to be part of an organized system. Yeah, They need to follow a chain of command, be a part of a team, be credentialed, not just show up without a plan and hope for the best. You know, the reason that we affiliated with these groups that are deploying is to help them have some logistic structure to give them mission. I like to call it MST mission support team to give them the mission stuff they need. Keep them, give them situational awareness, be in the background, moving supplies to them, moving information to them, trying to get them what they need so they can focus on the important mission. And that's taking care of the people, you know, whether it's housing them, providing medical care, saving lives, they can't do that without support. So our job is to give the real heroes of this, the ones on the front lines, the tools they need to do their job. When you self-deploy, you don't have that. When you just show up, you don't have that. And so we really want to encourage people to help, but help through an organized team. You know, join Cassius team, join a state team, a federal disaster team, join a local team, but don't self-dispatch. When you self-dispatch, you take resources away from the people who need it most. And it's not safe. Kasha, you know, that's a big point I was going to make at some point anyway, but you were talking about people just showing up and what a burden that creates, right? Yes, because um, obviously we are all functioning uh, in a different cultural, linguistic, and communicative world, right? The way we communicate in Poland is different than the way we communicate in the United States. And actually in Ukraine, one of the most challenging issues is the lack of communication, is the difficulty of, of establishing communication channels between the Ukrainian providers, the Ukraini Ukrainian support uh, organizations, and that's one of the most difficult tasks. And so, of course, when we all show up at once and we all want to talk to the same people, then all we do is talk to people rather than actually do things, right? And that, and that is, you know, and that is disruptive to the whole relief and, and humanitarian work effort that is being provided by the local organizations. And therefore, I have partnered up with an organization called Global Response Management, and we said, hey, let's form a coalition of organizations heading to Poland to actually... Um, to actually, you know, provide meaningful support rather than each of them coming in separately. And that was one of the, in the first days of, uh, of war, this was one of the major uh, critiques raised by the local Polish uh, organization. Hey, come on, guys, please 
join together, please come together. This isn't a beauty contest who's going to provide better and more beautiful support. We need to stand <laughs> united on this, right? We need to do this together. We need to talk to one another. And most importantly, we need to adjust our communications to match what is the patterns and the way things are done locally. Because obviously, we cannot show up over there and expect that we're going to fix things for, for the local communities our way. They don't understand that way. And right. we, that there has to be some, you know, mutual uh, mutual adoration on both sides, right? Hey, let me show you how we can do this, because obviously they haven't figured out everything out there yet, and there's a lot to be done. So there's definitely, you know, there's definitely being a person from the outside who has a more global look on the situation. You show up to the party and you say, hey, this is what I can do and to help you out. But then you have to listen back to receive that feedback. Okay, great. But we can do this, but I can't take take your advice on that one because of this, 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 and that reason. So this is obviously a, a very dynamic process, a very labor-intensive process, and that's why it has to be a coordinated process on, on all um, on all accounts and on all parties, you know, and all involved uh, accounts in that situation. Although I have to say one thing. I was, the Polish response, right, in the initial days of war, it wasn't governments, it wasn't organized um, entities, it was the people of Poland who pretty much showed up at the border, said, hey, you, I'm so-and-so, you want to, here is my apartment, here is a, you know, a room, here is a place to stay, and here is a warm meal. It was largely absorbed by families, friends, friends of friends, and random, you know, strangers who opened their homes uh, to the refugees of Ukraine. This was something the international community, I don't think they have seen in a long time, maybe not since World War II. So, um, so there is definitely a value to, you know, to some of those parking off initiatives, but the ones that happen locally by people who actually, you know, take in the impact of those uh, initiatives. And then the international and outside organization coming in. All right, guys, you've done a great job. Let us help you streamline this further. Absolutely. And Jamie, that's a topic that we've discussed, you know, the whole self-dispatching issue, uh, you know, in terms of not necessarily small, like ground zero wasn't small, but, you know, individuals just showing up because then somebody has to take care of them. And these teams are too busy taking care of refugees to have to worry about some straggler that just happened to find their way in that they know, th know nothing about, right? Oh, absolutely. And then we, we have talked about self-dispatching and how that is problematic for everyone involved, um, not just the, the person dispatching themselves, getting getting into a situation they can't handle, but also the, the organizations then have to divert resources for them. So it's just not a, not a good plan. Um, I, you know, and I have a question, Kasha, for you, um, and, and maybe Tim can, can feed into this as well. I mean, so often when we look at responding to disaster situations, um, the disaster is past, you know, tornado, hurricane, um, you know, earthquake, whatever, you know, the, 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 
the danger has passed, and so we're coming in to to help out. Um, but but dealing with a, an active war situation where there is inherent risk for anyone going into Ukraine, um, what how how are you mitigating some of that risk for your team? So obviously, um, people don't go. You know. This this depends. So if you look at the number of organizations going into Eastern Europe, I'm going to say it that way. We have initially said, look, we need you forming the coalition. So when Global Response Management formed the coalition, we asked all the uh, parties to state, do you want to work in Poland only? Do you want to work any in any of the neighboring countries around Ukraine, or are you comfortable going into Ukraine as well? And obviously, this um, this requires when you go into Ukraine, that requires a pretty extensive and pretty you know, pretty extensive effort in in determining the risk level, which is a very dynamic process. What was true yesterday might not be, you know, through two hours later from now on. So this is a very, you know, a very challenging situation and that uh, and that can change on a, on a moment's notice pretty much, especially when we have, when we're dealing with a, you know, with an enemy that is not holding on to any military rules of conduct, does not uh, believe in Geneva Convention, and pretty much on a, on a day-to-day basis commi- commits absolutely, absolutely horrendous war crimes. That is definitely a very challenging situation that requires a lot of coordination, a lot of reassessment of the risk pretty much on an hour-to-hour basis. And, and you know, statement of are we willing in, uh, to, to do that and also partnering with local you know, with local organizations in Ukraine to say, hey, we're happy to come and help do X, Y, and Z, but you need to come out to a more safe, you know, area to receive the the donations, to receive, you know, medical support, to receive educational support and such. So definitely not an easy situation. So, Tim, I'll get back to you, but I want to take a question from Becky. Well, it's, it's directly related. I think Jamie was probably referring to, you know, the physical aspect and the danger that people may be in. But I was curious, if is there any plan to sort of prepare people for the emotional aspects of this and the trauma that they're going to witness and then likely take home with them? Is there any way to prepare people for what they may see? I mean, we're seeing images on the other side of the world that are absolutely horrifying. And it's there's still that that level of disconnect. And so it's got to be incredibly difficult to go and see these things. And I just wonder how you handle that with your team, you know, before, during, and after deploying. So global response management is, you know, largely a veteran organization, people who have a lot of experience dealing with those kind of situations. But on the other hand, I wanted to, you know, mention something. People keep asking the Polish side, so how comes that you guys jumped out like this on, on uh, to help and to provide the support? And the answer is very simple. Poland is a country that understands the pains of war. What we're doing for the Ukrainians right now is something 
that we wish the rest of the world would have done for us in, in 1939 during World War II. And uh, I must say, me growing up, right, having grandparents who, uh, who were, you know, who were teenagers when the war, war started, and and we we kind of grew up with the images of war, with a lot of literature, a lot of history discussion, a lot of pictures and imagery uh, that has been fed to us over the years, throughout the entire, you know, elementary school, high school, through all the years of education. So in a sense, it almost, you know, in certain situations, even the way that war started, right, that that it was around four o'clock in the morning that he invaded Ukraine. This is the same story on September 1, 1939. It was when Hitler, you know, at like 4.35 in the morning, this is when Hitler invaded Poland. So there's a lot of, you know, similarities, there's a lot of uh, images that almost to some of us, to from what we, you know, from what we know about what happened in the previous century, um, it almost feels like, wow, that's that's a deja vu. That's something we've already heard about, at least, uh, if not for the oldest, you know, citizens in Poland, if not something they've lived through. Well, Becky, one thing that these two don't even know yet, but uh, I talked to our friend uh, Dan McGuire, who's kind of our CISM expert, and he's agreed to make some some podcasts for this team that can be available to them to watch whenever they feel they need a CISM break. So that's something I'm working with him on, and he was glad to help with that. Uh, again, Tim, I'm going to get back to you, but Dan, we didn't want to leave you out. Did you have any thoughts or comments? Oh, too, too long to get to the mute button. Sorry. <laughs> I, it, it happens to me once a month, I think, on this show. Um, no, I, I think I'm, I'm, I think that I'm none right now, uh, just, just listening at this point. Yeah, we're learning a lot. So, Tim, did you want to add to any of that? Yeah, just a few comments to support what Cassia said um, and the, the danger phase. There's a couple things, and it, with some of it we kind of talked about already. I just want to reinforce it. When we're talking about a situation as dynamic as this, there's a couple things that are really important. One is maintaining situational awareness. Two is working with your partner agencies locally and nationally, globally, to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time. So going back to what we said earlier, if you don't, if you're self-dispatching, you don't have an organization looking over your shoulder. You know, IBMC in its very small part is supporting the, the, the medical people on the ground. One of the things we're trying to provide them is situational awareness, talking to our partners, finding out what's going on, trying to give them as much information as possible. But that needs to be a global process. And if you're not part of the picture, you're not part of the organized response, you don't have that level of safety, if that makes sense to everybody. Well, and even those of us that have deployed any number of times in any number of bad situations, it, it's never the same. You don't, you can't come in with the same set of expectations as you did on the last deployment. It, I mean, even in 2017, when Joe and I uh, responded to three back-to-back -back hurricanes, they were all different. The deployments were all different. So you're right about that. Uh, Dan, what's your question? Yeah, sort of building off of what you were just talking about there, Sam, is, is there any modern-day parallel to this type of deployment and this type of event? That I mean, I, I know we're just saying that, you know, none are, are the exact same, but is there some equivalent that we can point to is that that's a similar situation to what's happening here, or does that not exist? 
I don't think so. Kasha? If anybody's learning one, please share with us because we'd love to learn that because we're learning as we go. If there's any way we can learn a little bit in the future, that would be amazing. Well, we're going to learn a lot on this because it is so different. What are your thoughts on that, Kasha? I, I think... I think that this is a pretty unprecedented situation. I mean, look, there's two two weeks. The the war has been torn apart, even though the war is going on in Ukraine that has caused a major humanitarian disruption. And there's a lot of voices out of Europe stating that this is one of the largest humanitarian disasters since World War II. Yeah. Well, and and even those of us that are baby boomers, Jamie's not quite there yet, but um, we haven't had war really touch us. There wasn't any world wars during our lifetime. There were wars elsewhere, but that didn't affect us. And I want to focus on that for a second, because the response that we're getting, uh, we've had different people plugging in different people. And since I'm doing communications, I'm hearing all of it. Um, but for you, Kasha, one of the gals I've been talking with is is part of the EMS organization for a very large county that has 46 fire departments. And she told me a story today. She said, you know, I met Kasha a week ago because I went to an instructor class that I was pretty grumpy about because I really didn't want to do it. But Kasha was there and she told us the story. And then I had to head slap myself and realize what's really important. And I walked out of there with a whole different attitude than when I walked in. And I knew I wanted to do something about it. And I think that speaks for a lot of people, probably every American. So she got busy. She contacted all her fire departments. And she's got stuff coming in all over the place. And, you know, that's just one example of some of the stuff that we're hearing. Everybody wants to help. All of these terribly busy people that Tim has talked to, are willing to do whatever they can from, you know, their home base, whatever state that might be. So we have a virtual EOC here, but, you know, we're making it work. And, you know, Tim and I have to figure out details on, okay, all the same people can't do this for two years. So uh, (laughs) we've got to figure those things out. But it is a long haul. But, you know, just to see the response from so many people, um, so many large organizations are involved. Uh, ASEP, you know, because we had uh, Dr. Frelke has uh, a, an organization with 200 physicians. We just have to figure out what to do, what is the best thing to do with all these people. Right, Tim? Absolutely. The, the hard part is, is getting them in the right roles to make sure we're using their skill sets to the best advantage possible. And with all these people coming on board, we create another problem with their good problems, but how do you bring these people on board quickly, get them trained up, get them in process? I, trust me, I would rather have those kind of problems than having have problems not finding enough staff. You know, the partners that these the guys talked to today, the staff did, were amazing. They came up and they're coming up with supplies and donations and ideas. And I talked to somebody today who's got a, a virtual EOC design on teams that he's going to give to us. Um, all these things, they're, they're coming in. And it, it's almost like drinking from a fire hose, but it's a much better problem. <laughs> than, 
than not having the resources coming in. I'm just amazed by how much our partner agencies are standing up, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, and these are all really experienced people. It's not like we're having to train anybody in ICS or EOC because they've all been there, done that. So we got to wind this down, but I will say this is part one of probably many parts, uh, depending on how long this war goes. And we'll be talking to Kasha frequently, so we'll do some updates here on the podcast and uh, certainly all the way through, and, you know, we'll get back to the lessons learned at the end of this. So there's much more to be told. Um, this is very near and dear to me because, as many of you know, I spent several weeks in Ukraine working with their medical folks there, and so they're very special to me. Jamie? One quick question, you know, um, Tim, for the people that are listening to this podcast um, out there, great many of them are various levels of responders or healthcare professionals. Um, what do you want to tell them that would help you? You know, there's a role for everybody, whether it's on their local teams, their state teams, federal teams, volunteering for a disaster team, volunteering to, to help IDMC with command control or EOC type stuff, I should say. But just figure out where your niche is or what you want to do, I should say, and join that team now. Don't wait until something happens and you say, oh, I got to go. It doesn't work. It doesn't help anybody. Get on the team now. Get credentialed. When we talk about training teams, right, we're not teaching you for the most part how to do medicine or how to do command or how to do EOC functions. You know how to do those things. You have to learn the way your team does it. You have to learn the way your partner's organizations do it. We're learning with our partners. We talk to Cassie about 30 times a day, I think, and we're learning how to work <laughs> At least. So you need to learn those things ahead of time if you want to be valuable to the response and not draw logistics away from people who really need it. So don't wait till the event to get involved. And if you want to help with this effort, you know, there's many avenues from donating financially to joining one of the teams. Uh, I'm not sure how you can join Cassia's team, but we're actually going to figure out how to, to do that in the next few days, how to, to point you in the right direction for what you want to do. So keep an eye on our Facebook page at IDMC, and Sam can give you all the exact details on that. But keep your eye on that Facebook page. Keep your eye on the website. Listen to the podcast. We'll keep the information flowing to you best we can. And, you know, for those in our community on Facebook, there's almost a thousand of you, that is a good place to keep getting this intel. If someone is experienced and has something to offer, I can be the point of contact for this podcast, and I will put that out there to the community. So, um there we go. And it's, you know, it's a dynamic process. We're still scratching the surface of how to make it work. Um, it's going to be changing almost on a daily basis. But um, we appreciate everybody out there that is interested in helping, that has donations. But again, that could be a big bag of worms, too. So contact me if you have questions, and maybe I can help route you to the right place. Jamie, and back to you. Oh, go ahead, Kasha. So I wanted, I cannot thank you enough, guys, for picking up this initiative and being willing to help. Because without people like you who understand how to stage this process, right, how to 
how to gauge and stage and how to some you know shape it and route it not in this one particular moment but throughout the entire you know the entire time frame that is going to play out we we could not we could not do it i don't have i mean why i understand the structure that we are talking about because I went to those courses, but obviously I'm a doc. I think in a different way. I'm an emergency physician. For me, what, what matters is, you know how to, how to confuse an ear doc. Ask them what's the next dose of the medication, right? I mean, it's a joke, <laughs> but, but, but that's how I function, right? That's how I think. I, I, I think about acting now, doing things here and, and at this very moment. It's now, it's not tomorrow, it's not you know, three days ago, and having people like you who kind of take a different approach and tell us, hey, Hampton, calm your horses, we need to do it stepwise, then that's actually a phenomenal initiative, and I could not thank you enough uh, for doing this. And, you know, and especially for someone like me, born and raised in Poland, as I like to say it with my heart, you know, white and red, having then become a naturalized U.S. citizen and adding that genuine touch of blue to it, I, I, really, I am really proud to be part of this. I'm really proud to, to be able to collaborate with people like this in a country that I am proud to call my second home. Well, you do what you do, and Tim and I will take care of everything else. We'll take care of what goes on the next day and the day after that. So, Jamie, I'm going to throw it back to you. And, uh, oh, my God, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> there, there definitely is. And, and, Kasha, you know, we want you to be safe. Uh, I know you're leaving tomorrow to, to head over there. Um, we, we want you to know that if there's something that you'd like to share with our audience, um, we have an open door for you. We'll, we'll get you on the show um, immediately. And, um, and schedule you in so that you can um, come and, and tell us about your experience, tell us what is needed, um, tell us what you've learned, and um, we'd like to make that uh, you know available to you. And, and the same for you, Tim, as always. You, you know the door is always open here. We want to make sure that this um, event gets the resources and the coverage it needs. So that's important. Um, so we just want to let you know that that's there for you. This is your new, new home, Kasha. Add, thank you. And if I may add one thing, so just over the last, I would say, 24 to 48 hours, the new evolution in the entire response is the fact that this um, ability of the Polish communities to absorb all the refugees into their you know, private homes, hotels, makeshift um smaller shelters or you know or, or or other little you know more like private and cozy settings has become saturated we see big um groups big transition camps i would say in in, in that way uh being opened up and at like expo um expo grounds in uh, in for example warsaw and there's in one of them there's seven thousand people in another one there's two thousand people and we are already noticing that that becomes an issue that you know lack of medical support lack of supplies medical supplies lack of you know the ability to care for such large populations in multiple places at once um 
especially because you know linguistic barriers and and everything else going on around it so so this is something that i really hope um the international community will start paying a very close attention to because um we do need to as much as we want to help ukraine at the same time we need to grossly support all those countries that absorb that are absorbing the majority of the impact that comes out of this and that would be Poland and and the and the surrounding um uh, countries of Ukraine uh so i i would really really hope that the international community will continue to observe and dynamically respond to what we are saying and what we are discussing and i am actually meeting uh, tonight at three o'clock in the morning our time uh, meeting online before i depart for poland with a um with a director for um you know public health services of the mazovian so this is the central capital region of uh, poland uh, of the Mazovian region to discuss the situation at some of those um some of those transition camps and how we can expedite international uh, response to help take care of those people. Well, it's interesting because our community on Facebook is very international and uh we may very, very well hear back from them on what their country is doing. So stay tuned for that. A lot more to come. Well, Jamie, we ran over a little bit, but it was well worth it. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that we were able to have this uh, episode to um, kick off what is, I hope, um, many episodes that, that cover this this long-term event, un- sadly a long-term event, because um, you know we're three weeks in and it's going to go on for much longer, unfortunately. And so it's going to require a lot of resources, effort, um, just gathering the the people and the materials together to support all of the refugees from what's going on in Ukraine right now. And so um, please, please stay tuned here and to other resources that you're aware of to um, keep track of what's needed and um, look at your communities to see where you can give where you can. Um, I'd like to just let everybody give get a chance to um, check in Um Sam, where can folks find out more about IDMC? I know Tim had mentioned you were going to share that with the group. Yeah, we have uh, – well, Tim, why don't you take that one? Yeah, we have a Facebook page um, that you can get information that Sam actually runs, and it's just IDMC. And then our website is isdmc, isdmc.org, and you can get information there from both of them. Or, and I think right now, because everything's changing so quickly, I think the best thing to do is reach out for Sam. Because, as I said earlier, we're building the plane in the air. So what we did yesterday is not what we're doing tomorrow. And I'm hanging on for dear life. So there you go. But (laughs) feel free. Um, Dan, where can folks find you um, if they want to follow what you're tracking on the weather um, with things going on? Uh, folks can find me on Twitter at WXDepo, D-E-P-O, also in the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Becky, how about you? Yep, over on Twitter at WX underscore Bex and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And just one quick plug for cash over anything else. I just I know you guys have said this, but just to reiterate, just donate money, not things. That's what people need most right now. Right. 
The medical community is a different story, but for everybody else, there's they need the money to buy the resources they really need. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so important. Um, they, they don't need coats. They need to know where to buy. They need the money to buy the coats in the specific locations that need coats and money to buy the other things that they specifically need. So um, that's, like that's ambulances. important. Like ambulances and, and, and food and and body armor, all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, just although, although I have to say, although I have to say that, you know, as much as I agree with all the humanitarian um, relief products, right? Like food and, and clothing, every, all of that can be still purchased locally. There's plenty of that, but, um, as much as the typical medical products or, or especially tactical medical, uh, products and body armor and helmets, um, Actually, the stock of Poland and the surrounding countries has been completely, you know, wiped out. So that's why for those kinds of, uh, of uh, support initiative, I have been reaching out to companies uh, in the United States, say, hey, look, we, we actually need the product. We don't need the money. We need the product because even if the money was there to buy it, there's nothing to buy. Right. And that's out of the hands of, you know, your regular everyday people, but they can certainly still be helpful. Absolutely. James? So um, we just want to wrap up and uh, kind of let things close out. So, Sam, um, where can folks find you? And obviously you're the point of contact for IDMC that, you know, you'll be found in our Facebook group. But uh, where else can they find you online? Well, on social media, such as I have time to do that, uh, under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, and I'll be spending much more time in our Facebook group under Disaster Podcast just to keep people updated. And I can be found under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations, so follow me there. And I will be active as well, as always, over in our Facebook group. And, of course, don't forget, you can find ways to subscribe to the podcast over at DisasterPodcast.com. There are links to do that below every episode's audio player right at the top of each episode page. So click the link for your mobile device and subscribe to get the show so you don't miss any of the upcoming updates. Um, that's it for me, Sam. Um, great episode. I'm so glad you pulled Tim and Kasia together for us to uh, come on and talk about these uh, important initiatives. Thank you, because it, it's important to me that we have this forum to talk to people about. If you have some some words for Kasia, please put them up on the community group. Um, I'm sure she'd love to hear the the support from everybody in this country and others. So... This isn't the end. There's much more to come. Um, But all we can do is our best, and that's what we're going to do. 